the closer mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellet. Before we begin, I want to warn that this episode does reference disordered eating. If that's a trigger for you, I'll catch up with you on next week's episode. But in the event that you're sticking around, this story begins in Florida, when Denver Tyler Palmer was in fifth grade. Her friend suggested that she play volleyball as a hobby. Tyler Palmer went along, but didn't expect much. And I was so bad. I was so, so bad. I was so bad to the point where I didn't even want to go in to play the game because uh, we had tournaments and everything like that. And I was so, I just wanted to be on the team, learn the game, and that was pretty much it. Uh, and then I started to slowly get better. They saw a lot of potential in me. So I was grateful for that. And when I got to high school, I think is really when I started to develop. I went to uh, Bishop Kenny High School in Jacksonville and they're pretty well known for volleyball. They have an amazing coach, Coach Winkler, shout out to her. And so she pretty much taught me everything else. And that was that. She cultivated her skill until she was months away from graduating high school. When she made the decision to pursue playing in college. She was recruited to Division II's Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, as an outside hitter mere months before she would turn up on campus. Between like D1 and D2 recruiting, I, I think it's pretty much the same as far as, you know, you go on your tour, um, they offer you different things, um, and, you know, they show you the facilities. My school had a really nice facility. It was almost like a D1 school in that, in that sense. Um, so I did like that part, that part. but um, yeah, everything else was, is pretty much the same. As far as the differences being an athlete in D2 is that, you know, academics are their number one priority instead of, you know, in D1, they kind of own you as an athlete and they're like, you know, your sport comes first. So that's good because you get to spend a little more time studying uh, the teachers um, are understanding, so, yeah. At Nova Southeastern, Tyler Palmer began tearing up the court. She led the offensive stats her senior year with 299 kills, 338.5 points, and 20 service aces, and even became an All-American as a junior. Yeah, (laughs) it's funny. I don't really talk about it that often just because to give you kind of the whole context of my volleyball career, is that we were notoriously a losing team. So yeah, (laughs) I can laugh about it. I mean, I laughed about it then because I was just like, whatever, this is the situation. Um, We were notoriously a losing team. So my my freshman year, we had a pretty good season. Um, And, you know, I I was a starter right away. So I started getting, you know, collecting accolades and things like that as a freshman. And then when our seniors graduated my freshman year, everything just started to go downhill. And so the next season, I think we were six and, I don't know, six and 25 or something like that. Yeah, (laughs) really sad, really sad, Uh, really depressing. And that's also why I struggled with food was because I sought comfort in that. I was like, I'm, tra- I'm working so hard, uh, you know, playing volleyball. I'm spending so much time in this. And it sucked that I wasn't getting the result that I wanted, you know, just to win. And I came from winning teams in high school. We won states and 
all of that. And so I was used to that culture. And so this was very different. It was a really hard adjustment for me. Um, I was, I was good. You know, I, um, I, I don't even know how to say it, but I, yeah, like I scored points and, um, I started getting recognition for that. And so somehow I ended up becoming an All-American on a losing team. When she graduated, she was one of the Sharks' most decorated players in program history, ranking first in career kills, attack attempts, points, and points per set. Even still, Tyler Palmer's mind got the best of her. She started down the path of disordered eating as a way to cope with the fact that she was doing her best, yet the team wasn't producing as a whole. I think it had uh, slightly to do with that, and I I think it's because I had a spotlight on me. And so whether that's like using my photos for flyers or, you know, posting it on social media. And so I, the disordered eating fueled my desire to look a certain way. And that was to look like a volleyball player, which at the time I was like, I need to have abs. I need to have like rock solid legs, like no body fat at all. And which isn't true. Like we see incredible athletes of all shapes and sizes. And so, but that wasn't really a conversation at the time. And so I just felt very determined and very stuck to this certain image that I had in my mind. I was like, I need to be stick thin. I can't have my legs jiggle in spandex. And it's sad too, because a lot of female athletes are very sexualized in their sport. And for reasons, you know, we were very small uniforms like why do we even wear spandex so like what what is the point of that it just makes us self-conscious and it hurts when we slide on the ground like if anything we should be wearing like leggings or something like that um but yeah it definitely had to do with having a, a spotlight on me and getting kind of this attention of um you know scoring lots of points and kills and getting these things so i was like wow like now i need to really like maintain a certain image and it's, I mean, it starts in mainstream media, right? Because there's this idolized thinness that women are supposed to have. And it has kind of evolved into, you know, we idolize athletes because they have these amazing physiques and they're so lean and they have these rock solid abs. And, and when in reality, like most athletes don't look like that. And that look does not determine their performance. And that's something that kind of got twisted in my head because I would see these bodybuilders on Instagram and these like fitspos and that's what they looked like, but they weren't, you know, having a practice a day and lifting and, you know, performing on the weekends and they weren't, it's very different. Like you can achieve that certain aesthetic and, you know, go about your day and whatever, but it's, it's very different when you're trying to perform on a court and you're trying to you know work along with the team and looks have nothing to do with that component of it as a lot of athletes end up doing tyler palmer found herself meticulously counting calories it took over her life and the relationship she had with food was turned on its head i did have a thing with numbers and i talked about this not too long ago on instagram but i never had a role model that could tell me that could show me like how much they ate 
because I was I'm a very tall I'm 5'11 so I'm tall I have muscle mass on my body like I'm a pretty you know large woman for compared to relative size so I I never had that example and so I would see people around me I would see you know fitness influencers just any information around me telling me how much I I were supposed to eat and kind of the standard I saw was you know 2,000 calories that's you know the recommended amount uh, for everyone in the US which you know isn't really true because everyone's individual but so I saw that and I was like well if that's you know the average then I definitely need to be below that and so I saw anything at 2,000 or above as like way too high and so I was, I thought I needed to eat around 1500 calories, you know, at, on the high end, I thought I needed to eat 1800. And that's when I started to kind of go into macro tracking and all of that. And I should have known better because, you know, you put in your activity level and then it gives you a, you know, a rough estimate, but I was just so, I as an athlete, you were on the extreme level of activity. And so, you know, we're working out constantly, we're in games, we're constantly in recovery mode. So we need a lot of food for that, but I didn't see it that way. And so I would put, you know, lightly active or moderately active when really it should have been way higher. And so I would take that number, which was probably 2,000, 2,100. And, and I wanted to be in a calorie deficit because I always wanted to lose body fat and get my body fat percentage lower. And so that's why the number was so low, but it would, I would do that regularly, which then if you know what happens is when you eat so little, you know, your body will eventually catch up and you will become so ravenous that you'll end up binging. So if you're looking at a weekly average, I was probably eating you know, over 2000 calories because of the amount of food that I was eating in like one sitting when the, when that event would happen. Um, but I didn't realize it at the time that it was because I was just eating so little. Tyler Palmer's habits went unnoticed for years and for good reason. The disordered eating cycle she was in went undisturbed best when she monitored aspects of it in private. She began to put up a food facade and none of her teammates or coaches were any the wiser. If anyone has eating an eating disorder or disordered patterns, it's very sneaky. And it's and I didn't look like I had an eating disorder, which is, you know, there is a stigma around it. Um, you know, I was weight cycling. So, you know, during season, I would always be heavier because stress was higher. And so I was constantly, you know, restricting, binging, restricting, binging, which takes a toll and, you know, you're inflamed and all these issues happen. Um, but before season is the summertime. And so, you know, I was able to be really disciplined. I had no stress. And so I would always be like super leaner uh, before my season started. And then, so I had that weight fluctuation a little bit, but you know, I'm fairly tall. So it kind of evens out. People don't really notice. Um, people did notice when I got really small, my smallest, uh, but you know, it's so glorified that people are like, wow, like you look so great. And, you know, how did you do that? And, you know, so I got a lot of compliments. And so that just continues to fuel the fire. And it wasn't, I think it's something that it's starting to gain more traction now where we're a little bit more concerned about athletes and disordered eating. But at the time there was zero talk about it. 
And so it was, it was almost like, yeah, like it's a good thing if you, if you look leaner, it's not something that is supposed to be investigated. Um, and, you know, I would eat normal at, you know, dinners, we would go to Chipotle and in my mind, I was spinning my wheels thinking, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I'm going to be eating, you know, cheese and sour cream and I can't get the rice because too many carbs and I have to get the lettuce. And so all these thoughts are happening in my head, but I never, I never showed that. So I was very good at faking this image of like, yeah, like I'm super healthy and this and that when really like inside my head, I was suffering. At her smallest, Tyler Palmer found herself recovering from injury, sidelined from volleyball and losing muscle mass. That's when her teammates started to notice a difference. When I got my smallest, I had, I had a back injury. And so over Christmas break, you know, I wasn't working out. And so I was, I was losing muscle mass too. And because I wasn't working out, it was easier to restrict my food intake. So I wasn't as hungry. Um, and so the combination of the two of the inactivity of losing muscle and the not eating, you know, I just shrunk like really small and, um, compared to what I am now, like I look back at the photos, I'm like, oh my gosh, like how did, you know, I look so unhealthy there. And I really was just trying, striving to be anorexic, which is so mentally terrible. It's terrible. But in my head, it's just it's what I was striving for. And, um, so I, pro I probably weighed 15, 20 pounds less than what I weigh now. Um, and my body fat percentage was, it was lower, but because I had lost muscle mass, um, it wasn't as low as I wanted it to, which then drove me to want to be skinnier. I was like, well, if I'm this thin and my body fat percentage is still this, I was like, then I need to, then I need to do it more and I need to get smaller. And so it was just constant cycle. And that's why, um, I think it's a good thing that they do body composition as athletes, but we did it so often. We did it almost three times a year. And so the numbers just really played in my head and it was just this game. I was like, I need to get it lower. I need to get it lower. I need to get it lower. And even, you know, our strength coach at the time, he was like, no, like you're in the healthy range. Like, this is a good thing. It didn't, it didn't matter in my head because I couldn't, I couldn't think logically for myself. So in my head, he, you know, he wasn't, he couldn't relate to the things that I was struggling with. And so I was like, yeah, like, I know I'm in the healthy range, but I, I want to look this way. And I couldn't obviously say that to him. We, we have uh, a university dietitian, so she works with the student, the athletes and the students. Um, and she would come and give us presentations in the beginning of our season and tell us, you know, this is how you can bring food with you. This is how you should plan your meals. This is, you know, all the basic healthy things that we should do as athletes. But in my head, you know, I already knew these things. I knew how athletes should eat. That's why I was originally interested in nutrition, but I couldn't do it for myself. And myself, like my goal was to look at in spandex and, you know, I can't do that if I'm eating carbs all the time. I can't do that if I'm eating these calorie dense foods. And so I was constantly trying to eat as little as possible. And it was something that like, I just, I couldn't overcome because I was so, I was, 
I had this fear of fat, like gaining fat. And, um, and it was something where I, I, I didn't even think I, she would be able to help me with that, which is, which is why I was so stuck. If, if I thought that maybe, you know, they dealt with these types of issues, um, you know, then maybe I would have sought out help. But in my eyes, I was like, you know, I'm the only one struggling with this. And I felt very alone in that. Junior year, Tyler Palmer found herself at an emotional crossroads. She moved in with two of her teammates and started watching how they ate. It was not only unimaginable for a restricted Tyler Palmer, it seemed outlandish. Her teammates didn't seem to track calories or care much about their daily intake. It looked like freedom from the suffering that Tyler Palmer, a sports science major, had been self-inflicting. But she didn't quite know how to get there. The turning point when I was just started to started to creep the corner uh, was when I when I moved in with my roommates, my junior and senior year. So Kim and Sam, they're sisters and, you know, great roommates. Um, so they were very much I would consider normal eaters. Right. So they would eat when they're hungry, stop when they're full. They had a ver variety of different snacks and um you know, they, they ate cereal, they had coffee creamer, they had, you know, cookies and pasta and rice and, you know, all these foods that I would restrict. Um, and so watching them eat, I was like, why, why am I so strict? And it's not even that my body was even really changing that much with these restricted foods, <clears throat> which I now know is because my body was so stressed out and it was just, you know, it was just trying to hold on. Right. Um, cause I was giving it so little. And so it then just started to catch my attention and because I was around it so often. I was like, Oh, like, you know, maybe, maybe I can start adding coffee creamer into my coffee. And cause I would only add like protein powder to my coffee because I had this obsession with protein. I was like, Oh, as long as I eat protein, like I won't gain fat. And which, you know, is there's a whole conversation around that. But, uh, so that was the first step was, I remember I started, I started using their coffee creamer. I was like, Hey, like, can I try your coffee creamer? And I started using it. And then I realized I was like, wow, like nothing's, you know, happening to me. You know, my body's not changing just because of that. And so it started with that. And, you know, I would order these Starbucks drinks here and there um, that had like the normal sugar in it and, you know, the normal lattes. And I wasn't so obsessive over it. And uh, so it started with that, but I was still very restrictive with my grocery shopping and still very selective with um, the foods that I was eating. And, um, but I would, I would end up sneaking some of their food. So my roommate uh, always had mini wheats. And I was like, oh my gosh, like there's so many carbs. They're like, how are you eating these? And this is inside my head. I wouldn't, would not say that out loud. And, um, you know, so when I became really ravenous at night, I was like, well, let me just have like a few, a few mini wheats. And I feel so guilty about it because not only was I uh, breaking my food rules, but I was, I was stealing food from my roommates. And so it was so shameful. And, but I still wasn't to the point where I could start buying those things on my own. Um, but the real turning point was literally the day after our season ended my senior year was when I felt so free, unbelievably free. I went to the store. I remember the next week we started 
just moving our bodies to feel good. I didn't have this pressure to like try to maintain this certain aesthetic or anything. I was like, let's just move to feel good. <clears throat> and then I was like, now I can incorporate, you know, these nutrition things that work for sports nutrition. And so I was like, you know what, carbs are really great for uh, your workout. So I'm going to go get some cereal. And I started eating cereal before my workouts and after my workouts. And I was like, this is so amazing. And it was honestly the day after my volleyball career ended is where I was like, now I can be free. So it's pretty crazy how I felt so stuck just because of the sport. But I think that's why I resented it so much after I graduated was because it just like kept me in this constant cycle. And it wasn't until the day it all ended where I just, I was able to fix all my issues. After Tyler Palmer played her last game as a shark, it was like a light switch. She suddenly broke through the chokehold that food had kept her in and began to live life outside of the regimented athlete nutrition guide. It was as if the world opened up for her. She interned with an eating disorder dietitian who taught her about the intuitive eating book. It's linked below for those interested. The book laid out how to regain control of eating habits after linking calories to happiness for so long. I stopped tracking because a part of intuitive eating is trying to rebuild your uh, hunger cues and fullness cues and really trying to listen to that. And that was a huge thing for me because I felt like I needed to reject my hunger. And I had this notebook in college. I posted it on Instagram, but I would literally write down weekly. I'm like, if you're hungry, you need to do 10 push-ups. Or if you're if you feel like snacking, you need to go do a hundred sit-ups. And that was part of my attempt to try to uh, reject my hunger. And so that was a big piece for me. And I just started slowly introducing the foods that I always restricted. I started eating, you know, instead of the quarter cup of oatmeal that I tried to call a breakfast, I started eating, you know, a full serving. And I started adding toppings to it because, you know, that's a part of the satisfaction piece and how you feel okay after a meal and not wanting to binge later on. And so all these things just started to build upon each other. And there were times where, you know, I did still feel out of control around food, but I would work really hard to investigate that. And it always ended up being that, you know, I wasn't eating enough. Um, so it kind of, uh, becomes this problem where you're, if you're restricting, 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 eventually your body's going to catch up to you and it's going to have all these intense cravings and then you're going to end up raiding the pantry. Uh, so it was a learning process, but I kept to it. And um, a part of the process though is to, you know, you have to reject diet culture. So you have to stop um, tracking your calories. You have to stop looking at nutrition labels and in my mind, I had a pretty solid foundation of knowledge around food. Um, so I knew how to do the basics, you know, include a protein, include a carb, include a fat. And, but I wasn't, I wasn't tracking how much it was. It was strictly off of, you know, do I feel hungry right now? Do I feel full? And that was how I would eat. So that's really what allowed me to kind of experiment with these things. And I was like, you know, how much food do I really need to be eating? And that's when I started tracking my food and I ended up eating way more than I ever imagined. And so I was eating 3000 calories this past year 
which is a lot for, you know, a female and, you know, it's, it's, it's more than people ever expect. So, you know, I started doing that and it just made me realize how much I should have been eating as an athlete because it was not even close to that. <laughs> as soon as Tyler Palmer, now a sport nutritionist, unlinked caloric intake and self-worth, it became significantly easier to piece back together her relationship with food. In my opinion, at least, it starts with a neutral feeling around your body because typically people have these negative associations with food because we're told they affect our body. And so, you know, most of our society is very fat phobic. There's all these messages saying, you know, if you eat this food, you're going to get fat. And so that's kind of where it stems from is our bodies. Um, and so that's what I worked really hard on was, you know, achieving this body neutrality because I was so obsessed with trying to change my body and change my body fat percentage um, to attain this certain look that as soon as I stopped volleyball, I was like, well, like now I can, I felt very neutral about my body. You know, I didn't care as much how it looked. I never had to put on spandex again. And that's when I was able to feel more neutral around food as well, because we are told from a very young age that, you know, there's these good foods and then there's these bad foods. And so if you eat the bad foods, you should feel really guilty and bad about yourself. And, you know, you're a horrible person when, if you look at it very logically, you know, there's no morality to food. Right. And so we shouldn't feel guilty around these things more. When we look at food, we should look at it from a nutritional standpoint, some new food, some foods are more nutritious than others. Some foods offer us different things. And if you're looking at a piece of broccoli versus a cookie, you know, they both have benefits and the cookie offers you satisfaction. Um, it offers you connection with others and the broccoli offers you, you know, all these nutrition properties that are great for your health, but you can have both of them, right? And so it's the neutrality comes from feeling neutral about your body first. And then you can then realize that you can include all foods in your diet and be healthy at the same time. Um, but learning about the different qualities of food can help you kind of na navigate that. She found a sense of freedom that came with the total detachment of her identity as an athlete. And it became instrumental in breaking her cycle. Definitely the freedom piece in all aspects, body freedom, food freedom. I just feel so incredibly detached from who I used to be and that obsession. It was mentally draining. I couldn't focus on conversations. I couldn't focus on homework. I couldn't focus on anything besides food in my body. And so I just feel like I experienced this whole other side to life where I can actually you know, pay attention to the people that I love in my life and go to events and not be so obsessive and compulsive with the food that's there and just live, honestly. Disordered eating can take so much out of you and so much mental space, so much energy. And it's, it, you feel free. Like you feel like balls and chains have ripped off of you and you can just fly away, experience life from a whole new level, so. That's my best description. It goes back to just all the negative associations because 
if, if I, if we were a winning team and it was a really great experience, of course, there are parts of being an athlete that I love. I miss my teammates and I miss that connection that we all had. And I miss showing up to a place and working really hard together, but it was just the whole, the whole part of being an athlete was just so stressful and so exhausting for me. And the fact that it kept me in that mental trap of trying to look a certain way was just it was it was exhausting and I couldn't I couldn't be the person who I wanted to be or who I was supposed to be and it was just it was exhausting and it was it was all these negative associations with the sport that allowed me to just repel so far from it and go completely the other direction. Now officially a quote former athlete, Tyler Palmer was finally on the other side of athletic performance. She watched as athletes spent a concerted effort controlling their intake and hunger. But she also saw the other side of athletic nutrition. You know, I worked as an intern for University of Miami um, with their football team. And these guys eat so much, so much food because they're constantly working out. They're trying to build muscle. They're trying to recover um, all the things that, you know, normal athletes do, but on an even greater level because these are really big guys and the bigger you are the more food that you need and so we are constantly making them sandwiches we would put ice cream in their shakes and just as as many calories as possible because they really needed that energy and so it does come to a point with these athletes that you know after their sport after they retire or even throughout injury they they don't have that connection with their hunger cues and their fullness cues because they're just always told to eat and my boyfriend says the same thing. He was a baseball player. And so all throughout his career, you know, the message to him was you need to eat as much as possible, eat as much as possible. And so they never have that connection of like, you know, I am now full. It was always just clean your plate and wait until the next meal, you know? Um, so it does become an issue in normal life when you transition into that part, because you, you don't, you need to rebuild that connection. Rebuilding hunger cues was one of the most difficult parts for Tyler Palmer. She had to force herself to eat when she was hungry, and she isn't alone. A 2015 study published in the International Journal of Exercise Science found that of a group of 83 varsity female athletes at Campbell University, between 15 and 78% of those suffered from disordered eating behaviors. That survey is linked in the show notes if you'd like more information about the results. Tyler Palmer saw that the most influential part of breaking that disordered eating cycle was to test her hunger cues. Penn Medicine's Dr. Janice Hillman, who specializes in defining hunger cues, delineates the psychological side of consumption by saying, quote, two people can eat the same exact meal, leaving one person still hungry and the other completely full. Paying attention to your body is the first step because there are different cues so for example, uh, when you're hungry, you might experience some brain fog. It might be a little bit difficult to focus and people may not experience that, hung, that tummy growling, that stomach growling. Um, and so they may wanna pay attention to how they're feeling mentally. And you know, is it hard to focus right now? When's the last time that I ate? Uh, you should typically eat something every three to four hours. So that's the nice guideline to have. Um, and so you can set an alarm, for example, you know, every four hours, how am I feeling mentally? Do I have any brain fog? Is it hard to focus? 
how does my stomach feel? Do I feel kind of cramping or do I feel uh, any growling? And so kind of asking yourself those questions and paying attention to your body to see what signals you do feel can help. Some people get a little bit shaky. Um, some people get lightheaded. And so that's a good way to navigate whether you're hungry or not. And then when you're full, uh, it's, it's this conversation piece back and forth with your brain and your body. So it does come from asking a lot of questions and people don't necessarily like to do that because it takes work. And when you're eating, you just want to eat and get it over with. But uh, it, you can learn a lot from the process, which is why I really encourage it. And you can start by asking yourself, you know, how do I feel? Um, halfway through the meal, you might want to take a sip of water and be like, okay, like how am I feeling on a scale of one to 10? There's a scale online that you can look at and it kind of tells you this different range of, you know, there's this middle ground of being satisfied with where you're at. And you can ask yourself, okay, if I have one more bite of food, you know, is that going to push me over to over the edge of feeling kind of uncomfortably full? Um, or, you know, if I have one more bite, am I going to then feel pleasantly satisfied and I'm not going to want more food? And so it is kind of this back and forth conversation with yourself, which can be hard, but it's something that can really help people. And then, you know, it can go further with going on with the rest of your day. Uh, you know, do I have the energy that I need for the next task? So maybe you notice, well, I'm still hungry or, you know, wow, I don't feel very energized. And that can prompt you to then question, was it enough food at your last meal? Um, so yeah, those are just different examples of what you can do, but it is a pretty, a pretty flexible process that people can do. Hunger cues are incredibly subjective. And because of that, student athletes like Tyler Palmer had trouble with the lack of structure. People like structure. So it's, it can be hard to tell people like, it depends and uh, you can be very flexible with your food, but you can have structure um, without being too rigid by providing these certain guidelines. So like I mentioned, I think earlier, the plate method includes, you know, do I have a protein on my plate? Do I have a carb source? Do I have a fat source? And so that can give you some structure without it being so rigid and being like, you can only have these foods and these portions and, um, you know, asking yourself these questions and having different scales of hunger and fullness can be that structure for people while still having that individuality and kind of flexibility um to meet your personal needs because we're all different right so you know i could tell you like my best estimate of how much food you need but it really comes down to your own uh you know cues and your own uh ability to assess yourself now that she's preparing to become a registered dietitian tyler palmer is more in tune with athletes who are attempting to hide disordered eating behaviors she says that because she went through that same cycle She's keenly aware when cues arise to signify a problem. Some things that can come up are, you know, if your athlete is rejecting food. Um, so let's say you're offering the athlete a snack because, you know, it's after practice and they should be refueling and they reject it, kind of prompting why can um, be a good place to start. And like I said, 
disordered eating can be very silent. It can be very secretive. So it is hard to address for that reason. But um, athletes, you know, whether they're being weighed or not, that can also be an indicator because, you know, frequent fluctuations in weight can be a sign that they're restricting their food and then, you know, they're binging and they're having these crazy weight fluctuations. So, you know, that can be something that can um, prompt the conversation. There can also be, you know, the rejection of food or if you're, if they're eating in um, a public space, you know, team meals and whatnot, um, kind of seeing how they eat and what they're ordering, um, whether they have hesitation towards eating, uh, you know, that could be an indicator, but it can be pretty hard because disordered eaters don't want to come across as disordered eating. So when they're in a public place, they might be just eating normally and you would never know. If her collegiate self could see the progress the current version of her has made, Tyler Palmer says that she would be ashamed. She would she would be so ashamed of who I am and she would be so mind blown because the person who I was was very and this kind of ties into the culture that we have in sports and fitness, which is, you know, no excuses, um, discipline over everything, you know, mental health is this taboo topic, which it, you have shed light on it and a lot of other people. And it's just something that was never talked about. And so I very much felt like, you know, I didn't have feelings. Everything was very like black and white and, you know, my food issues, it's a problem for me, but I, never associated it with being like an emotional problem or like a feelings problem it was very much like no this is a problem that I have and I'm just like not disciplined enough and I just need to try harder and then I'll be able to overcome it and so the fact that now I'm very like in tune with my emotions and very like willing to share with people about my experience experiences is something that I never did because I was very closed off. I didn't want to share my life really with anyone. I was very um, kind of not like sheltered, but just closed off to a lot of my friends and it was hard to get to know me. So the fact that now I share on social media and with all my friends and with a bunch of strangers is just crazy. And it's been definitely a process, but yeah, old Denver would have been like, who, who is she? <laughs> Tyler Palmer would tell her past self that the disordered eating behaviors she fell into weren't her fault. It was an important distinction to make and one that took her years post-sport to fully conceptualize. You know, beliefs around food and your body, uh, it's not your fault. And it really starts to develop as a young person. Uh, we're so impressionable at that age. And even though people are not, not saying things directly to you, the kind of language around body and food uh, does take a toll in how you then have those behaviors. So, you know, it's not your fault and um, recovery is possible. And it's a really great life when you can finally feel free around those things. So I suggest anyone who even remotely resonates with what I talk about, really try to investigate that side. Cause I know it sounds like very foo-foo and very subjective, but it there is structure to it. And ultimately like it really benefits your mental health. So that's all, that's all I got. <laughs> if you feel as though working through your eating habits with someone would benefit you, I have a perfect outlet for you. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. 
I'm so happy to have them on for another week. Now that we've solidly arrived in 2022, how are your resolutions going? Are they causing you added stress? I know they are for me. That's why BetterHelp is the perfect resource. In 2022, I want to continue to create and share these amazing stories, and BetterHelp assists in furthering that mission. One of my overarching mental health goals is to create and edit these stories from a clean workspace. If I don't bring my A-game to telling these stories of difficult topics, I not only do a disservice to the mental health cause, but I waste the times of those who share their vulnerabilities with me. I don't take these episodes lightly, nor do I take these topics. And sometimes there's no other way to tell these stories without working through heavy topics like self-harm, depression, anxiety, and disordered eating behaviors. One of the best ways to reach your 2022 goals, even those which may seem insurmountable, is to follow through on healthy mental health behaviors by working with a licensed therapist. Now, I'm bringing that option to you, the listeners. If you've ever listened to a Close Your Mentality episode and thought, I feel exactly the same way. I'm working with BetterHelp sponsorship to bring online therapy to your phone and computer. BetterHelp offers video, phone, and live chat options, and you can speak to a licensed therapist in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp has more than 20,000 licensed therapists around the country, and you have access to them at any time. You can get thoughtful messages from your therapist, and if you aren't happy, it's free to change providers. If you're worried about the cost of traditional talk therapy, BetterHelp also plans for that with accessible financial aid options. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You deserve to prioritize your mental health this year. Get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. That's betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The link is also in the show notes. If you've resonated with Denver's story, you can follow her on Instagram at Denver. You can also follow at Closure Mental for behind-the-scenes content with all of my guests and Closure Mentality Uncensored on YouTube to watch the entire interview from each episode. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode 51 of Closure Mentality. As always, I'm your host, Julia Mellon. Next week marks Closer Mentality's first birthday, and I'm putting together an episode full of my favorite quotes and takeaways from the past 51 weeks. It's going to be amazing. But until then, see you next week.